Hello and welcome to Game of Moans, a podcast where we are looking back at Game of Thrones an episode at a time. I am Chris Bolton. With me, as always, our very own mountain, Mr. Mark Williams. Hello. And this week, we are up to Season 5, Episode 5, Kill the Boy. We're halfway through the season already. I'm not sure how this has happened yet no, again. It, it, I mean, we had the same thing last season as well. It seems to have gone quite quick. It has. And this was a season I was really worried about. So I'm quite yeah. surprised by that, if I'm honest. Yeah, me too. Um, and I mean, there's stuff that hasn't happened in the season yet. I thought they did sooner. They seem to be dragging it out a bit so on the second watch. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's going you know, all, all in. It, I feel it's going pretty well. You know, there are things that are moving on at a lick and there are stories that I like which are coming through and there are stories I don't like which are fizzling out. So that's, a, that's, a, that's more or less a positive thing, I think. Yeah, it's been pretty good thus far um yeah then we get this week so mm. let's get into it i suppose yeah. um right first and foremost the credits really are fucking annoying me again now i i kind of <laughs> got to a point where i was sort of comfortable with them and just accepting they were long like this week i'm like i've i've struggled to find because this is like a 50 odd minute episode as well and i struggled yes. to find the time to watch it this week and these yeah, fucking credits i was just like for christ's sake like I, I haven't got this 50 minutes, so can we just get the credits done already? They go on for like three minutes or something. I, I don't I thought it was quite that long, but I, I use them like you used, used to use the um, the Orange Wednesday ads in the cinema. That's my chance to go for a piss before it starts. Yeah, I am I am an expert at the... Well, I can do it with the Meerkat adverts as well. I've learned the timing with the Meerkat adverts now. Like, I know exactly when to leave in a cinema to have a piss. And it's when the Orange Wednesday starts, or in this case now the Meerkat movie starts, or even in some cases now when Kevin Bacon pops up on screen for EE. Uh, but at yeah. that point, if I run, I can have a piss and get back in my seat just as the BBFC logo was coming up. Perfect yeah. timing. Yeah, I mean, I kind I kind of work that with um with the Game of Thrones credit, uh, credits, whereby I think right, okay, if I I'll hit play, I'll run upstairs, I'll go for a piss, I can come back down, I've enough enough time to uh, to grab myself a drink before it then starts again. Yeah, I, they, they're just really fucking. Don't get me wrong, they're great, as we've said before, they're very pretty. They're you know, oh, a lot of workers cool with it. all the stuff popping up, but Jesus Christ, just get on with it already. Um, yeah. anyway, long credits, and then how the fuck. How the fuck do we open with Grey Worm and not Barristan? Well, yeah, I mean, that was my first problem. I mean, I, I'm the same as you. I, I'm having a week, and I I realised about 3 o'clock that I hadn't actually watched it yet. So I was like, right, okay, fuck. So I, that laptop laptop was on um, with my emails and shit popping up, and I was watch, I was sat in the living room watching it while I was technically working. Um, it was it was that sort of cutting it close this week, whereas I hadn't actually realised I hadn't watched it. Um but yeah, so start off on Grey Worm, and my first thoughts were right. Okay, well, no, you see him, and he must be dead. Oh wait, no, he's no, he's not dead. Um, see, and but, then... the, but this is the thing: if we'd have opened on Barristan, who is dead, yes, then cut into Grey Worm has that much more drama because we yeah. we start on Grey Worm, and he and you can tell straight away that he's he's not dead. Pretty much, you say there's a second of is he dead? Oh no, he's not. And Missandei's just sat there with him. Now, if you'd have opened with Barristan clearly fucking dead, yes. One, it's a starker image and it's more shocking. You know, like we opened with Tywin dead yeah. uh, last season. No, this season. This season. Yeah, fucking hell. It's all merged into one already. Uh, nice stark image. If you'd have opened with him dead straight away, we know now he's gone. When you cut to Grey Worm, you're gonna think, oh shit, his heart and mouth moment. Then, yeah. Um, but mirroring it this way. 
It just yeah. doesn't work. It, it doesn't. I mean, my my first thought, because I mean, you, you know me, and I, I go off on these random tangents. Anyway, so, you, I see uh, within within a second, so you can tell. You know, I can't I can't tell whether he, he moves slightly or his chest raises low or whatever it is, but you can tell he's alive. And then Miss Andy's there, and I'm thinking, hang on, how the fuck has she got time to be there? Yeah. Standing standing vigil. Hasn't she got better things to do? So that was that. And okay, I know that's just me being kind of arsy, but that was that. Then you cut into um, fucking Barristan laying in state. Yeah, in, in the bastard in throne room where she receives everybody, with Daenerys standing over him. Hasn't she got better things to fucking do at this point? Oh, well, I mean, to be fair, dudes just died. Like you, you would make time. Well, yeah, no, but and I'm, 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 I'm being hyperbolic, obviously. But no, it's, it's, it's one of those you think. It's a, you're, you're right. It, it is the wrong way around. So the image doesn't work. But you, you just there thinking, right? Okay, well, at this point, she's under siege, but she's standing around like nothing's going on in a place where people can get to her. No, she's not in the pyramid. She's not locked away. So, no, she's just kind of hanging around waiting to be attacked, really. Well, um, I think the idea is that the siege is pretty much done, isn't it? Like, Barristan has given uh, his life to end the siege. Well, you know, that's, yeah, yeah. I mean... The, these are the heroes. These are the conquering heroes, Bar- Barristan and Grey Worm. You know, one survived and one hasn't. So the siege has been and gone at this point, and she's kind of picking up the pieces. Um, And, and then, of course, she kind of gets spoils of war then, you know, where... People are coming to her all of a sudden and, and sort of begging forgiveness almost. Um, and she kind of drags them down in front of the dragons to show her wrath instead. Yeah. Uh, because, of course, she does, because she is vengeful. Yeah. Um, fire, and, fire and blood. I, and, you know, the, the scene where she has him in front of the the scene is actually really good. I like I the it. idea behind it. I, I like was, her speech. I, it was a really about tense children. scene as well. The way it was, the way it was, um, the way it was framed, the way you had the... It's just the very ominous noises of the, the, the chains clinking. It was a really yeah. nice scene, and there's another very, one which very does that. well done. It was a yeah. really good scene, but again, it speaks straight to her character. That her her go to isn't right. Okay, how do I sort this? It's I'm going to start flaying people. Yeah, they, they go too far. The speech itself is great when she's talking about children and how you get them to behave and stuff like that. Yeah. And it's actually it's quite nuanced. You no, know, yes, she's clearly talking about the dragons, but she's also talking about the slavers. Yeah. Very, very good. Clever yeah. writing. She Works delivers really well. it well. Yeah. Um, but they piss she on just it goes, by having the, the execution. Yeah, she goes too far and burns the dude. So there's no there's no threat now. This is just murder. She's a tyrant. So yeah. what well, she just said to them is it doesn't matter if you behave or not, because yeah. I'll burn you anyway. Yeah. And I mean, realistically, the, the way to, if you want to send a message... You want to get these these people fucking quaking in their boots and and terrified of you. Is you, you, you bring the dragons forward and they, you have them snarling in your face. You have them within inches, and then you send them away. You call yeah. them off. The guy the guy's there pissing himself on the floor because he's terrified, and everybody else is thinking, "Shit, that yeah. could be me." And next time she might not call him off. Exactly. Exactly. That, but no, that is how you do it. That if you're going to rule by fear, which isn't a tactic I generally recommend. If you're going to do it, you want you want the threat, not the not the promise. Yeah. Because if you show that you are willing to just execute every motherfucker in the room, what's the point? What no? Why why are you going to fall in line? Because she can kill you on a whim anyway. Yeah. Everything about this open opening, sorry, is is just is fucked up for me like I, I said i think the scene is really good but they completely mm. screw it i am pissed off already with this episode by the time we get to the burning i'm like fuck yeah. this like i've i've had it with this episode and, um, and again no, the uh, we haven't had it for a while but we've, we've talked in previous seasons about needless gore there's no need for the dragons to rip the guy in half either i know they're dragons no. and they would but again it just no it's it's you no know, somebody's had to go and build a prop for that that they're going to set on fire they're going to fill with liquid set on fire and then rip apart i mean 
in for a penny and for a pound by that point uh, well, yeah was, was I, my view on it like if, we, if we're going to do it we may as well do it but uh, yeah i i hate it narratively is, is yeah. my issue um but yeah you're right there's, there's no need for it there's no need to show it but yeah in for a penny in for a pound i guess um thankfully we don't spend too much time there with danny and we cut over to john and torman which is great it's great yes. scene between them because it's been earned these guys have been through some fucking shit together well, we, we, thought we get them, a scene with um with Sam and the Maester first, don't we? We do. Um, not a great deal happens in that scene. No, I don't think though. Um, I mean, again, though, it's 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 quite interesting because um, we get Sam reading the letter or the the Raven where it's to oh, um, we... Aemon about about Daenerys and how she's liberated and she's freed and this that and the other. So it, I mean, it is quite interesting. Um, yeah, we don't get much of Sam, but then John enters the scene, doesn't he? Yeah, John Anderson um, said, I want to speak to the maester alone and kicks him out. And then we get one of the worst lines in the show so far. And it's made even worse because it's the episode title. And there is nothing worse than speaking the title. Yeah. It is the most cringeworthy thing you can do in any show or film. Just speaking the title very rarely works. Mm. Um, unless you're doing it properly shit-eating grin, tongue-in-cheek, it very rarely works. And it definitely doesn't here. Kill the boy and let the man be born. Yuck. What a yeah. horrible line. Just, ugh. Yeah. I, I'm sure they think it's cleverer than it is. Uh, it's not. It's horrible. It's very, very poor. Um, awful. Yeah, it's very, it's very clunky. Um, and I think, you're right, they probably know it. They probably are thinking it's clever, and you know, they're probably thinking it's as clever as when Cersei said, no, the thing with the Game of Thrones is that you win or you die. Again, it's it's that level of trite where you go, oh, for fuck's sake. Yes, yeah, it definitely is. Uh, it's fucking horrible. So, yeah, there's that, and then we get the scene with Tormund, you're right. Yeah. Um, and, and the scene with Tormund, I think, I think is brilliant. Um, I mean, it's it, it reminds me of the scene in Heat where they're in the, in the diner, sat in the window. Sometimes we do this show, right, and we don't we don't discuss this beforehand, listeners, and very, like, we may like send the odd message back and forth but it's literally generally fuck this shit or whatever we're quite yeah. cryptic about it because we say stuff for the show um i haven't got it written in my notes but you have taken the words out of my mouth <laughs> that is exactly what i got out of this where it's two people from opposing sides just having essentially a, a, a casual sit down and just yeah. going like right we've got to sort this shit out because yeah. this has gone far enough we need to sort this shit out that's exactly how it plays I get the impression that was probably intentional um, because for a lot of it, they just let the actors do their thing. Yeah. Um, it's it's actually this episode in general is quite flatly directed, um, yeah. but it, it, it kind of works here. We do just kind of let them do their thing. Um, I, I think it's a great scene. You know, yeah, it, it, it works really well. And I think that, I mean, um, Tormund's one of those characters. I mean, when we've been introduced to him before, he's always been a bit sort of comic reliefy. Yes. Um, you know, he's he's menacing because he's bigger than everybody else. Um, later on uh, in the run where he he's on screen with Brienne or shares time with Brienne and then she goes elsewhere, he's quite lascivious and that gets quite wearing as well. Um, but certainly for his role in this season and possibly the next season, um, he I can't remember the, the actor's name, but he does a, a really good job um of he, he he seems to nail that sort of the the, the gravity of the seriousness of that character and the, the position they're in um and especially in a couple of episodes where they do go to hard home um he really does come into his own and then say so they they kind of dial back on that later on and turn him back into a bit more comic relief which is unfortunate um but and i think this is probably the first episode where we really see any sort of 
any sort of chops from him. I don't know. We've had the odd the odd scene here and there where he's not the main focus. This one, he is front and center. This is John saying, "Look, I can't fucking do this on my own. I, I, you know, I yes, I'm Lord Commander, but I I know my limitations, and I know all the shit that's gone on in the past eight thousand years. It can't continue because we're all gonna die. And no, it, again, it's John being the bigger man, which you know you see him do you know, an awful lot of because it's for the greater good. And I think Tormund really does embrace that. Now, he's one of the few characters... He reciprocates. Yeah, yeah, it's like, okay, I see where you're coming from. You're, it's not going to go over well. Your side aren't going to like it. My side aren't going to like it. And for what it's worth, I think you're a dick. But what you're saying is right. Yeah. And I think that the, this is the genesis. I mean, the, the relationship between these two goes on for quite a long time. Um, and it, this is really sort of... I mean, I know they, they, so they, they were introduced in season two when John went well with the, with them to, to meet Manson, he met Egret and everything. But this is really the genesis of that relationship being actually a sort of parody rather than you know, rather than anyone playing an angle. This is, look, we're on the same fucking side, whether you like it or not, this is yeah. it. Yeah, it is. It's They need each other, basically. Yeah. They, they need each other. for, And they know it. And like I say, it is. it reminded me very much of Heat as well because of that. It is... Two people essentially having a parley, just sitting down and saying, "Okay, enough." Yeah, like even even the shot, the shooting as well. I mean, as I said, it's very flat. Um, yeah, but it's, it's very static. But again, because, I think just because of how close the shot is, and it's no, it's, it's quite a wide shot for the most part. But most part, the two shot, and again, it's similar to that shot in Heat where they are in the diner window, and you've you've kind of got them from the knees up, whereas you would generally expect to be closer. So it's just a very similar shot as well. Yeah, it's just kind of just letting the actors do their thing yeah. and just the camera just being as non-invasive as possible. Um, it works yeah, there's here. there's little movement, is there? No, there, there's hardly any. And, and it works here because this scene kind of needs that tension and needs that room to breathe. Yeah. Unfortunately, that seems to carry through the episode and it falls flat a lot of the time. I think the direction in this episode is very, very cumbersome. The blocking in particular yeah. is extremely cumbersome. Like people make all sorts of unnatural movements just to get themselves in frame rather than moving the camera. They'll move the person. Yeah. Um, and it, it does. It does, seem, um, it does seem a bit stunted and it's not something we've seen too much of in the show, actually. Um, no, I mean, it's all, one of the things I constantly, yeah, I constantly credit them for the blocking. Yeah. Um, it's something they're very good at. And I think some of that comes down to the performers as well. I certainly think that's the case with Peter Dinklage. He just seems to know where to be at every yeah. t- every point. Yeah, I know? mean, his, his, his sort of staging and his, his presence is, is unparalleled, I think, in the show. Um, yeah. It's interesting, actually. This guy, um, I think this is the first episode he directed. He's done a lot of stuff um, before this. He did um, Six Feet Under, Nip Tuck, very different types of shows. But he ah, did, now again, um, very talky, very static shows. Yeah, yeah but that he also makes he sense. also did um, The Pacific. Oh right, okay. Um, so, which is why I'm quite surprised, but I'm not sure how many of those he did. Um, but no, th- but this is the first episode he did of this. The next, e- he also does the next episode next week, and he was nominated for an Emmy for wow. it. For, I think it was for direction in a direction in a series. I'll find out now and bear with me saying. Um, but yes, but I mean, I, I'm I was quite surprised because, as you said, this is um, this is something I wasn't really expecting. Um, and you don't I, you don't normally. Uh, we said this before. When some stuff, when blocking and things that are done well, you don't notice. Yeah. When, when they're, they're done, done badly, though, you yeah. really do. Um, yeah. so and it, and it annoyed the piss out of me in this episode constantly. Um, 
which is a shame because I do actually think there are some very good scenes. I think there's some very good writing in this episode. There's some piss poor writing as well, as always. Um, but, you know, a, a scene like that, I think actually, you know, that kind of deliberate blocking works for it. You know, they spend a lot of time sat at a table and where Tormund gets up, it's to make a point. Yes. And he puts distance between the two of them and then the camera comes down low. It all makes a point and that's fine. Look, I don't need a kinetic camera. If anything, no. more often than not, it pisses me the fuck off when yeah. people move a camera too much. Um, but I do, you know, I do notice when movement isn't motivated and I feel like a lot of times here it's not. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's not the biggest gripe in the world. You know, I'd rather I would take that over a poor script any day. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, I'll I'll get on with it. And um, yeah, we so we move through that scene and then um, we get another scene with with Stannis. Yeah. Uh, coming up. And like we Stannis is really coming into his own this season. Like the, the character absolutely comes across it. He gets one word here. He just makes a correction to fewer Yes, he, he he corrects it. It's, it's I forget what the actual line that's given is, but he just corrects it in one word to fewer. And he's got so much presence and yeah. so much character just in that one action of making the correction. Everything comes through. Um, he is every inch a ruler and one that is determined to set people on the right path. And it, it all comes through in that one. So I thought that was excellent, like top notch performance. It really is the little things in this show, yeah. and and that is one of them. You know, um, and then we kind of get this again, this foreboding from John. John being excellent, you know, as as he's addressing the Night's Watch, saying things like, you know, if we abandon them now, you know what they become. Yeah. You know, it's very good. You know, he is so relatable at this point, and he's resolute in his mission as well. You know, he's he's a man alone basically at this point because the rest of the Night's Watch want nothing to do with the Wildlings. He's a man alone. Yeah, but he knows what he must do. You know, this is true hero stuff. Yeah, this is it. It's it, it's it's the hard it's the it's the hard choice. It's the hard path. Yeah, but it's the right one. Yes, and absolutely. and and you know this this was always going to be the point where it was going to be a step too far. You know, going mm. off with them, killing the half hand, that was done. That was bad. Um, going off with the wildlings, um, spying you know spying on you know, spying on them, feeding them false information. That was something that he didn't necessarily need to do, as far as the watch are concerned. Coming back. Um, I don't know, having slept with Egret and broken his vows, that was a bad thing. Not executing um, the hostages, uh, the prisoners, after they, um, after they attacked Castle Black, that was the wrong thing to do. He's always done, he's always made those moral choices. And as a viewer, you can see them and go, well, of course he's going to do that. Why? He's not going to kill him in cold blood. That's not who he is. But that seems to be who everybody else in that scenario is in this show. So, And it's easy to see people, um, it's easy to see people sort of taking that easy route um and the way the writing goes in the show sometimes you think that's probably what they're going to do just so they can't write themselves out of a hole um yeah. but with john for whatever no john for whatever reason until the beginning of the next season and we'll get onto that when we get to it they seem to have sussed yes oh definitely absolutely he is he is definitely the best character in the show for me at, at this point. Like he, yeah. he's the one that they've got down pat. They know exactly where he's going. His arc is consistent. Yeah, I was gonna say they're like, not jumping all over the place with his arc as well. I mean, I mean, I've I've always had a soft spot for Arya. I mean, I've said this since we started the show. I said this when we first discussed this show back in fucking twenty fifteen or sixteen, whenever it was when uh, when I started watching it. Yeah. Um, but her fucking story is all over the place. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and we haven't seen her for a couple of weeks now either. It's about three weeks. I was I was actually thinking when I was watching this earlier, we haven't seen Bran at all this this season, which isn't a bad thing because I hate the whole three eyed raven. I was going to say, yeah, that's, However, that's fine by me. I mean, I, I I don't like that story, and I don't particularly like the character, and I'm not no, I'm not really interested in the portrayal either. However, given you no, know, we are now ramping up into winter's coming, and we're going to you no. Know, we go. We're going north where there's a chance we're going to run into whites again. All this sort of stuff. You'd think that shit would be coming back into the no, back into the fall. I don't well, think you see a more fucking season. No, you don't. I don't think. Um, if you do, you maybe see him once or twice. No, yeah. I, I, but I think I think we might spend the season without him because I remember at the time again uh, discussing this and saying like, where, where the fuck is Bran? And yeah. again, it is like, look, it's my least favorite storyline, but also like, just where the fuck is he? To the point where when he does pop back up, you're like, right. What was happening here? Where were well, they yeah. going? Because at least, I mean, we know we know Rickon is still was still alive because he was you know, sent off with um, the fucking wildling girl whose name I can't remember. Um, yeah, um, so we know we know that they were alive, but they weren't really doing anything apart from going to hide. Yeah, so that's not an issue. We saw a little thing last week, and he's riding off to King's Landing to to be duplicitous and mustache twirling and all the rest of it. We don't need to see him every week. We just know he's around. Yep. Lady Olena, we know that she's gone back to Highgarden. So she's yeah. not doing anything to affect the story. However, Bran, and given all the, all the shit we've had with him thus far about the warging and the Three-Eyed Raven and all this sort of shit, and then where we left him, we're going to give you answers. We're going to tell you all about the Three-Eyed Raven. And then you don't see him for an entire fucking year. Yeah. And then when you do, oh, fuck. Yeah. Like, we'll I mean, talk whole, about it when we get there. I mean, the there. whole story's a mess anyway, but if it's no, it's quite important. Yeah, well, it is. Whether you like it or not, it is important. Um, but you know, why do they care about shit like that? They're only telling a fucking story. Well, yeah, you know, exactly. it doesn't need to be consistent. Yeah, you know. Um, but I mean, it's far more important. You know, like in the next scene, isn't it? It's far more important, really, to just have tits and ass everywhere. Well, you know, yeah. I mean, why? Why is Miranda naked in the next scene? Why? What is the fucking point? Um, other than to really cement the disgusting male power fantasy of it all. Yeah. Um, this scene just makes my fucking flesh crawl. Um, yeah. It, like, it's up there with the fucking rape, honestly. This scene just makes my fucking flesh crawl. When Ramsey yeah. just comes up behind her and says, you're mine, you're not going anywhere. Yeah. Oh, it, it, it is. But, I mean, not only that. I mean, the whole thing, we... <laughs> There's no, there's no, there's no need for it to be in a bedroom. There's no need, need for them to be naked, and we, there's no need for the, no, for the, for the, um, the aggressive sex, uh, the aggressive start of sexing we get. All you need is some. You could have had the same conversation where, you know, where they are somewhere else, where they are clothed, where there's an act, there's something going on, and they're they're talking in whispers behind the fucking closed door or, or whatever. You can do it in so many better ways, and then lead that straight into the scene with Sansa. Yeah, which is There's good. No, I like yeah. the scene with Sansa. There's no need for this scene at all. No. Well, it, it, I mean, it's just purely to kind of get Miranda's jealousy over to us before she meets Sansa. But, but you can on. do that without her being um, well, yeah, absolutely. Her being could, assaulted. To- totally agree. You can do it without her. Yeah. Um, it, it doesn't have to be done in this way. We need the scene. Yeah, I we, understand. we need the exchange between them. We just don't yeah. need it done in this way. No, not at all. I mean, it, it could just as easily, if you if you absolutely had to make it about sex, it could have just have easily been done with both of them in a bed covered up. Yeah. You know, just saying. We don't gain anything by having a naked. Well, well no, that's right. And I mean, in the, in, the, in the dialogue itself, there's some nice touches. I mean, you know, where she says to, um, to Rams, do you think she's pretty? And you can tell on his face, you know, his first thing to say, well, no, of course not. But he says, mm. uh, yeah, I've got eyes. 
And yeah. it's just it's it's that sort of no, that is fine. And the whole thing about you know her being jealous, I get all of that, and it's it's really useful. But we don't need the rest of it. No, uh, and we certainly, I say, we certainly don't need his possessive. Just, I mean, I know that's Ramsey in the character, but oh, it's just. Ugh. But again, you can, again, you can have all of that without the the, the physical side of it as well. Yeah, you know, even if just... even if he's you know even if he just says no, you're mine, you're not going anywhere. If she's not naked and he's not pawing at her, it it's not anywhere near as fucking creepy, but it's just as effective. It just makes makes me want to vomit in my mouth, to be honest. It's gross this scene. Um, but anyway, let's yeah. And in, let's in, in a star in a star change for the show as well, she has really small tits. She's very slight. Full stop, to be honest. Um, but yeah, I just... Although, again, maybe that's a choice because the because the whole stepmother casting could be could be. Um, but we we move on as quick as as quickly as we can. Let's move on. Um, we get the scene with Sansa where, like, it, I guess it's like a scullery maid or something comes in and just says, "You still have friends in the north," yeah. which which is really nicely done. Oh, so we missed a bit as well. We missed the scene with with Brienne and Pod. There was a scene with Brienne and Pod. It's a very quick scene where she, Brienne relays the information to the guy delivering the food, which is then passed on. Oh about, yeah, uh, no, that's that's after this. Isn't it, it? it can't no, be it's because not, she needs no, to pass right, the message on. Then that's why she comes in. Yes, you're now, right. The, the scene is eminently forgettable. The only thing that just sticks out in it for me is the really fucking horrible mat they use of Winterfell in the distance. Yeah, because it's Again, not in focus. Yeah, we, we've we've commented on the mats in this show before. Yeah. They tend to be either magnificent or absolutely fucking awful. And this one, this one was terrible because it 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 actually looked like they had, they just put the camera next to an oil painting. Yeah, um, yeah. I I had forgotten about that scene. To say it is forgettable, but it does kind of put. I guess it puts Brienne and Pod in in a time and place. Yeah, it, it uh, puts them in the vicinity of Winterfell, and it sets up um, the, the fact that they are there for Sansa, and Sansa has allies, which then goes into this scene. So I'd, I'd forgotten about it. And I'd forgotten to mention it until we got to, to this point. Yeah. So, so this maid comes in and tells her she still has friends in the in the north, and tells her if she ever needs them to light a candle in the broken tower, which is just great stuff. Like yeah. cloak and dagger, yeah, really atmospheric. It adds to the threat. Just the suggestion that she might needs that she might need to do that adds to the threat, adds to the tension. Yeah, very nicely done. You know, it, it's not explicit. It's just enough. Yeah. Um, so you know, it is a little bit expository, but they just kind of they just pull it back in time. So, very very good. Uh, but then the next scene, like, I, I have some trouble with the next scene because then Sansa like just like goes for a wander through town, which is fine. Yeah. Um, but why on earth would she trust Miranda? Well, I mean, I don't know whether she knows who she is at this point. However, given all the shit she's had done to that, her, that's and... what I mean. I don't think she does know who she, she, she is. Yeah, but, but she, she has no reason to trust anybody. No. I mean, she no. She comes up and introduces herself as she's a kennel master's daughter, isn't she? Yeah. So she comes up and introduces herself as that, and okay, fine. But I mean, presumably, and you'd have to think this, right? The Starks you know, were you know, Ned was warden of the North. They lived at Winterfell. Most of these people would have been there when she was growing up there. How does she not know her? So a girl of her age, how does she not know who she is? That should be ringing alarm bells because she knows she can't trust anybody. Mm. Yeah, and, I, I just don't understand does, why it, on earth she would trust her yeah, for a moment. Especially when, and I, I know, no, and I said earlier on with the dragons and the clinking of chains, that there was, a, there was really an atmospheric scene. It worked really well. And the bit where Sansa goes into the kennels and they're, they're jumping up and barking, and all, so that it works really well as well. But from a logic standpoint, yeah, there's no reason for her to trust this girl she's never met, when in reality she should have met her. Yeah, I, so th this to me just is nonsense. It just reeks of convenience and doesn't work for me 
whatsoever. No. And then just when you thought it couldn't get any fucking worse, <laughs> yeah. just, I mean, like, we see him so little now that it's worse when he pops up, isn't it? Here yeah. he is, Theon, well, he's not Theon fucking Greyjoy anymore, is it? It's Reek. Fucking Reek. The one character worse than Theon fucking Greyjoy. I hate him. Right, now, I've said this every time he appears because there is some sort of weird logic problem every time we meet Reek because his character doesn't work. Yeah. How the fuck, right, when we're at the dinner scene now, how the fuck does Reek know who Sansa is but doesn't know that he's Theon Greyjoy? How does that work? How does he have Theon Greyjoy's memories and not be Theon Greyjoy? Well, yeah, and I mean, we've had this for the, for the last couple of weeks when we have seen him. Like, no, Sansa arrived at Winterfell and he turned, he turned and turned tail and ran with Edward. Yeah. He hid from her, didn't he? Yeah. So we've had this all along. Yeah, you're, you're right. And I hadn't really given him much thought. But yeah, there's, as we've said all along, Theon has to still be in there. Yes. Because we, no, we haven't, because he's been broken off scene, we don't believe he's broken. So all we see is. Okay, I mean, he was always a sniveling fucking toad. Anyway, he's a pusillanimous little cunt from from day one. However, that's just been that side of his character has been magnified, whereas the um, the the arrogant prick has been beaten out of him. But he's still Theon Greyjoy, just not the fucking prick version. Yes, I. And I know that's harsh because he had his prick cut off. But no, that's no. It it's as a, as as a reading, that's a little on the nose. But he is still the same person because we haven't. We don't know how he's been broken. We don't know what he's been through apart from he got stabbed a couple of times and had a fingernail chopped off. Yeah. Oh, and he, no. So he's not... We. It's very difficult, even now, I mean, we're, what, a season and a half into Reek? Yeah. It's very difficult to reconcile the fact that he would be this broken and this damaged. And the glimmers again, the fact that he recognised Sansa, speaks to that. Yeah. So at which uh, point, it's just, it's not the fact that he's broken or anything else. He's just a fucking coward. Yeah, he's he's afraid of what will happen if he doesn't carry on being Reek. I I don't understand the character at all, and I no. never will. Um, no, I don't either. So so anyway, yeah, he recognizes her immediately, really, in in the cell. But if he knows who she is, then he must know who he is. And then we move on to the dinner scene, which is what a weird scene, okay? Because for it, it's fantastic for a lot of reasons. There's a lot of good stuff in it. Mm. And then there's just some absolutely mental shit, which I can't believe anyone in their right mind would allow to pass, particularly not with this kind of budget and with a director who you've now said has actually got some chops as well. Mm. Um, I mean, to start with, like the, the actors are great and like there's not really too much blocking to be worried about because they sat at the dinner yeah. table. OK, so it's just about making sure the camera's got them in focus whenever it needs to. And, you know... The direction for the most part is good. Sansa is is fucking phenomenal. Like it's put some of the best work she's done, yeah. I think. You know, just the, even again the nuances, the way she pushes her wine away when she says, "This isn't a strange place." Yeah, this you is know, my being, home. Yeah, it's excellent. She is really good, and the back and forth, you know, where she takes the blows and it looks like everything's going to be against her, and then she manages to swing it back around. Excellent, really, yeah. really good. Bruce Bolton is always good. Um, so uh, Ramsey's always good. So it's, it's it's a really good scene, aside from the fat shaming. Yes. Um, but uh, I know well, yeah, why that, it's that, there. That's in, that's in the next scene, isn't that? Yeah. So so for the most part, all of that is good. But then you get mental shit. Like when Reek enters, there's a, like a, a candlestick behind him mm. with one candle lit. Yeah. And it's not even the center fucking candle. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's stuff for that. And I mean, the, again, the thing that got me is like. Even, even though no, that it's that no, there's nothing going on at the moment. So it's not like there's going to be millions of fucking people around anyway. But they're in the middle of the fucking banquet hall, this massive hall. 
on a table where there's just four of them. Well, and it, this it, it is what of, I mean by this mental shit. It, like it kind of strikes me. There was um, I, I read it about an hour ago actually. Um, George R. R. Martin has come out and said there's there's one scene in the entire show that he really dislikes. How he can pick just one, I don't fucking know, but that's what he said. And it's right back in season one um, in the um, episode of Golden Crown where Robert gets gored by a ball. Yeah. So, and he says that it's not written in the books. It's no, Robert goes off hunting and then Randy comes back with word that he's been injured and he dies from his wounds. But they decided to have this scene whereby Robert, Renly, uh, Lance Lannister and one other bloke, well, I can't remember who it was, they go off on a little group in their, on their own. Uh, no horses, a spear each, and a shitload of wine. That's not how fucking king's hunting parties would have gone. There'd have been guards. Oh, Barristan Salmon was the other one. There'd have been guards. There'd have been a massive fucking entourage. There'd have been dogs. There'd have been horses. There'd have been all this shit. And the reason for it, apparently, is they didn't have the money to do it at, at that time. And that's okay. fine. But you, you know, you, we don't need it. No, I mean, given all the shit that happens off screen in this fucking show anyway, yeah, they could have said, right, well, yeah, Robert's yeah. gone off hunting, Robert's been injured. We didn't see him getting injured anyway, so why did we need to see that preamble apart from to get a couple of gay jokes in? Yeah. This kind of smacks of the same sort of scene whereby they've got this massive set and no fucker to fill it. And it just yeah. feels like they've undercooked it. It's it, it Exactly. Especially it with Ramsey making a speech. Ramsey makes this big fucking sweeping speech and the grand gesture and all the rest of it. And it's just three people. Mm. In, a, in a fucking empty hall. It makes no sense. No, well, it's, it's four of them, isn't it? The, the, his, yeah, but he's his, making a toast to three people. Oh, right, right, sorry, yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's this. you're right. There's this big empty hall. There's this, this candelabra thing really fucking bugged me because, like, it that has to be intentional. I can't believe that they that they actually they didn't pick that up like yeah. they, they've decided to light one candle and why they've decided to light one on the far left i don't know right there is something going on there and mm. it bugs me that i don't know what it is um because even to use that as a as a prack right to use that as a prack in the scene you'd like the whole fucking candelabra or you'd like both ends or you'd like the yeah. middle it would be symmetrical yeah or, or you'd like... have one big candle on its own rather than having yes. a, having small dots and i don't know one one big fat central one as opposed to one on one end yeah so whatever they're going for there doesn't come through no um then you're quite right there's again i said about how weird the, the blocking is in the direction and there's very little blocking because they're all sat at a table but they sat at this massive table and there's yeah. just four of them in a big empty room and what happens then is the, the, the performances are fantastic they really are excellent the performances in the scene and actually it's well written as well i really like the scene mm. but this direction is so weird and boring and flat like there's this big empty room, so there's no, like you get tension from the performances, but it's not reflected in the space. Yeah. So it it's it's just really weird. We have these wide shots of the table, and we get two shots a lot of Sansa and Ramsay, which suggests hmm. kind of, I guess they're trying to suggest the distance between them. But actually, what you need to do here is go kind of status paradox with that because he's exerting control. So yeah. you want them to be close, and. It, and that doesn't happen. So yeah. there's no there's no threat and there's no tension and it's just really fucking weird. It's so odd. Yeah, um, I mean it it kind of it reminds me there was a, um an episode I think it was season 2 um I think it was when Theon's at the Iron Islands and somebody's write he somebody's writing a letter and they they re, they lit it really fucking weirdly again using a prack. Yeah, yeah, I remember it. Um and it's no it's kind of like um it's kind of I went ape shit about it at the time yeah. if you remember. Because <laughs> yeah, it was it was kind of like um stage lighting, wasn't it? So yeah. everything everything else was black apart from and yeah. this this kind of they went, oh yeah, we did that and that didn't really work. So we're going to go the complete fucking opposite and show you everything that we don't need to. 
it's very, very, very strange. But that again, I kind of I let it go because the scene itself is is everybody in it is excellent. Okay, and there's two things that'll carry me through anything. Okay, and that's that's good writing and good performances. They'll they'll carry me through anything. I'll forgive just about everything else as long as I can hear and see them as well. And more on that when we come to later seasons. Yeah. Um, but and this has both of those the performances are great and the writing is good so yeah. it, it, it carries me through I, as I say Sansa I think is fantastic and I love that we end the scene with her having the upper hand like it would be better if she had some agency in getting that upper hand but just the fact that she ends up with it is enough for me at the moment yeah. with that character because she's so when she does get the upper hand she's so smug about it as well yeah. um, so I think the scene is is very good it's just fucking weird yeah it's a really weird weird scene yeah i mean um, and that's it it's not the first time we've talked and it certainly won't be the last time but it's we've had it you know you, you either have good performances and good writing and poor execution or you know, one of those three will upstage the other two mm. and in, yeah. in this one yeah the execution just seems completely fucking off it this episode really feels like it feels like we've got an actor's director, okay? It feels like we've got somebody that that's willing to get down and dirty with these actors and get under the skin of the characters and pick out the nuance, which is great. Yeah, I think yeah, that's but, fair. But generally, that would also lead on to knowing, like, you would work with movement and you would work with blocking, but he yeah. doesn't. So it's like I, it, it would be fine if he just doesn't. Like, some directors just don't have that visual flair. Hmm. And there's nothing wrong with that, okay? But then, anything... then you then you engage a really fucking good DP. Yes, exactly. There are people. A director doesn't have to do everything, okay? But he does need to surround himself with people that know what they're doing and instruct them. Yeah. And it it seems like he's just kind of not doing that here. And and look, don't get me wrong. Of the two, I would much rather, as I say, something was well performed and well written than it looked good. So if anything, this this falls just down on the right side of of the bar yeah. for me but it yeah. is really really fucking distracting it is um, and it, it, it pushes it, it's, it's distracting at the point that it it pushes you to what no to think well hang on this it pushes you to think this it's a bad scene when it's not when it's not yes exactly you have to you really have to try to stay with it and find the good and i found that in general throughout this episode there is really good stuff in this episode yeah um, but I didn't. I can't say I enjoyed it because I had to fucking work for it. And yeah, you really had part, to earn enjoying it. Yeah, and part of me wasn't in the mood for that as well. Um, it's it's interesting you say that the director came from Six Feet Under actually because that is a show that I greatly enjoy. But that is also a show that I pretty much felt like that about for the whole show. Yeah. Um, I, I did greatly enjoy it. I've got I've got the box set. I think it's it's a great show. But yes, yeah, sometimes you really have to work for that as well. Yeah. Um, so anyway, yeah, fantastic scene. And then we get another great one straight off the back. You know, we get Roos and, and Ramsey sort of having this rather frank discussion about yeah. the fact that Roos is having a son. And once again, you know, Roos has shown himself to be a good father before. And, and actually, despite what people think of him, in, in a lot of ways, quite an honorable man. And, you know, this story, his story is gross. OK, it's absolutely disgusting. and reminds you just what a horrible man he is. Yeah. Um, but the sentiment behind it is actually quite touching. Yeah. And again, this is where it makes me think, you know, we, we have got a director that, that's willing to get in there with the actors because they, they handle that duality really well. Like there is a real shade of grey coming out of Bruce Bolton. And, and there has been every time we see him. I've mentioned that before. You know, he's he's clearly a bad man. Clearly, we know he's a bad man. But 
also, I think he's acting with a lot more honor than a lot of the supposed good characters in this show. You know, his yeah. attitude towards Ramsey is is quite touching. You know, for a murderous rapist, he's a pretty good dad. Yeah. You know, um, and and it, that's I think that's really good. And, yeah, and, <laughs> and, and, really and, like and to pull up to, to come to come out of that scene and that story with any degree of empathy for the bloke is quite an achievement. And I mean, um. Credit to Brian Cogman, he's written a very good episode. Yes, it is um, very well written, this episode, definitely. Yeah. And in all fairness, again, with this scene, there's a lot more movement in this scene than we've had in most. And it, it's not bad, it's not jarring, it doesn't distract, it's, it's actually tight. done quite well. It's yeah, tight, that's it. it is very space, tight. there's two of them. Again, we have they, they get it now, there is a status paradox, Ramsey's standing, Roos is sitting, yeah, and, and they get it, they, they put Ramsey on edge. Yeah, yeah, whilst Bruce has command of the scene, it should be the other way around, but it's not, and that puts us on edge. Yeah, and they they get it. The tension works, and then he breaks it. That that scene, you know, his his story is horrible, but then he breaks it and it's, and softens, and yeah. it, it works really really well. It's a it's a top notch scene again, mm. um, and he followed up a, another short scene after followed again with an excellent fucking scene with a character that, you know we feel like we probably shouldn't like, but Stannis comes to talk to Sam mm. and is just wonderful. Like some really good stuff with him. And I've said it before, you know, for all that his motivation may be a bit skewed with this whole Lord of Light thing and what have you. Um, yeah. I genuinely think he would have been a really good king. He is a man of honour. He's he's a strong leader, clearly, you know, and, and just the way he commands this scene with Sam, who's clearly you know, in most cases, subordinate to people. That's just his character. Mm. But the way he comes in and makes it clear that he knew his father and his relationship with him and how Sam doesn't look like he should be in the Night's Watch and stuff like that. And and he, he sort of, he's chipping away and knocking Sam down. But then it's like he understands that he's done that. And then when yeah. he talks to him about the Dragon Glass and, and just ends the scene with, keep reading, Samuel Tarly. Again, yeah. fantastic writing. Yeah. Fantastic, because it I mean... throws us forward Let's yeah. us know what's coming, and it builds Sam as a character. It, it um, does, and I think that I mean we've we've talked about Stannis before, and Stannis was introduced right at the beginning of season two, and he didn't really do a lot of it. his first three seasons were kind of apart from no um, no birth uh, or conceive in the uh, vaginal smoke monster. Um, hasn't really done a great deal, and we've we've seen him in dispatches, and like this season, it was set it was set up from the very beginning of the first episode of this season. This was going to be Cersei's year. Cersei's mm-hmm. barely fucking done anything. No, we've had far more up north than we've had in the entire in the entire run. And there's been quite a lot with Stannis. There's been and quite there's a lot been, of character work. Yeah, there's been a lot done with Stannis, and all of a sudden they've gone, "Oh shit! Actually, he's quite important. We need him." And we see a lot of these qualities. I mean, we never we you never saw Robert in this of kingly light, this majestic light. You've no the only person you've seen come close to this sort of um of this of the this is a moral goodness is Ned. Yeah. Um, and then okay, it's a bit screwed with the whole no Lord of Light thing, but no. Again, that's you get the impression that he's kind of in a bit of a thrall there, whereby he would be a great king without it. And this is just the, the mean he. This is something he's kind of attached himself to in a, a, a bid to get to get where he's going. And you cut you. I mean, certainly in the next episode, I don't know if it's the next one or the one after. Um, but you, there's a question of him doing something for the Lord of Light, and he initially refuses. And you kind of get the impression he's like, well, you know what. I'm not. I'm not all in on this. When it actually comes down to it, I'll do a lot, but I. I don't really think that's going to work, mm. because you know, in his heart of hearts, he's not really buying it. Yeah. No. He, he's a very interesting character to me, and I said this even when we met him back in season two, when he when he wasn't doing a lot. Um, 
I I've got a lot of time for Stannis. There there was a point sort of last season where he was stalled a bit. I think. Yeah. But yeah, you know this is well yeah this this is the stuff more that I remember of Stannis. Um, and and I do really like this stuff with him. I I think he would have been a really good king. Uh, and and with this scene as well. We've talked about um, how well written this episode is, and actually, you know, in some respects, how well directed it is, in others, not so much. Yeah. But we're actually starting to see the emergence of a shock horror theme coming out here as well. Um, there is a theme of fathers and sons running through this episode. You know, yeah. you, you you have this now with with Stannis talking to Sam about his father. Um, we've had talk of Ned briefly. Um, we've had obviously the stuff now between. Um, between the Boltons yeah. and then right back at the start, you know, we had, we had Tormund now having to take charge of the wildlings. Yeah. So there is, there is this passing of the torch, this fathers and sons, this inheritance yeah. going on. You, you, you know why that is, don't you? Uh, no. The Wonder, the Wonder Twins neither wrote nor directed oh, this episode. yes, of course. So, yes. Actually, so, so, so actually we've got a bit of competence. Yes. Uh, so, and, and it do, it really does make a difference when. Yeah, it does. When you're able to hang an episode together like this, you know, whether we're, whether we're jumping around in story blocks or whether we're jumping from character to character to character, you can do all of that as long as they're unified by a theme. And this episode does that really well. I mean, hell, Danny even calls it right up at the front when she's talking about children. Yeah. You know, and then the maester as well. Horrible as the line is, kill the boy. Or whatever it is, kill yeah. the boy, let the man live, something like that. It's it's there. It's fathers and sons, yeah. and taking the mantle, and that theme is running all the way through. So, credit for that as well. Yeah. Um, then we get the scene. We're back with Grey Worm and Missandei. Yeah, um, really nice scene. I really like it. Now I know yeah. we've talked about these before, and um, you, you had some issues when, when we were talking about it before. But I I really like. I know it's it's strange, but I really like their relationship, and I find it really sweet. And I think it's really well handled in this scene here. Um, yeah, I mean, I think we get a lot. I mean, the uncertainty generally there that is of as as a as an entity, they're this sort of you no know, mythic presence, aren't they? Whereby you know they're they're an all conquering army and all the rest of it. And we don't, we've never really seen much in the way of vulnerability before. And we saw it earlier in this season where you had the one who went to the brothel and had his throat cut. Um, he wasn't looking for any form of sexual gratification. He was looking for a mother to cradle him. Yeah. Um. So that was really the first hint we had that you know, yes, okay, they you know they were taking as children, mutilated and brought up as soldiers, and they you know they they're supposed to not have any compassion and all the rest. Of it. They're supposed to be the ultimate fucking army, but they're still people. And I think this is probably the 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 biggest thing we've ever had, whereby actually there's character in these as well. I mean, Grey Worm to this point has always just been a sullen fucker who wants to fight things. Yeah. Even but... even when he's not fighting, he wants to fight things and he's angry all the time and. Possibly because that no, that's he's all sorts of confused about feelings for Miss Andy anywhere else. But gen, no, generally, we don't get any honesty from him. And this is probably the first time where he breaks down and no, I failed him. I, fa- I failed everybody. I know I'm, I, I, I'm ashamed. And immediately, Miss Andy goes to, well, there's no shit. No, there's no shame in being injured in battle, protecting your, your the people that are protecting the people you're supposed to protect. You were ambushed. And he's like, I don't give a fuck about that. I'm injured in battle. I, I, cut, no, I rehab. I come back stronger. I cut some fucker's throat. I don't care about that. I'm embarrassed because my final thought when I got stabbed wasn't that I was going to die. It was I was never going to see you again, which I'm not supposed to feel because you know, I've had my bollocks cut off and I'm not supposed to feel anything, anything remotely human. Mm-hmm. And it, it was a really nice touch. I really, I, that's a scene I really liked. It. So, I mean, I've, I've talked in the past about my issues with the relationship as a whole, but I really did like this scene. I thought it came off really well. 
It does. It's a really nice scene. I've written another note about it, which I can't actually read my handwriting on. Something <laughs> about why do we switch something in this scene? Um, but it's a good scene. I, and I can't read my handwriting. So whatever it was, something about it, something technical about it annoyed me. But I can't read my handwriting. I think, so. I think, we, I think they crossed the line. It might be that that I've written. I haven't written line, but I might have written something. I think I think they switched the angle. I think when he he turned over because he he woke up on his back and he was facing her, and then he he rolled onto his other side, but the camera didn't didn't accommodate that. Yeah, that that sounds like something I would pick up on. I I, just, I honestly have no idea what this word is that I've written. <laughs> um, I'd go back I, and look the scene and see if you can find out. I, I'm sure I w- I'm sure if I watched the scene, it would make sense to me immediately. But I'm just looking at this word. And I, I I write all of this in in just scroll. I don't print or anything. Um, and my handwriting is fucking terrible. So yeah, this, I'm this is why I don't take notes because it take me so long to watch the episode. Every time I pause it, every time to write something down. Well, generally I can read my own my own handwriting, but this is this is particularly bad. Um, so anyway, it's a good scene though. Um, and then just fucking hell, Danny annoys me. Like so, we then get this scene with her and Masande where she's talking to her, and Masande says to her that there's a better choice apparently that only Danny can see. Um, where exactly? And if that is the case, why didn't she do it in the first fucking place? Well, yeah, this is it. And I, I do quite again. I quite like Masande in this scene because, like she said, no, Danny said, well, what do you think? I said, I, I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not high enough. I'm not important enough to have an opinion. She said, you've been with me, you know, you, 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 know, you see the the impact and all the rest of it. So, you no, know, it's a valid point that you no, know, this will affect the lower born people and all the rest of it. So, you no, know, this will affect people who are in the station that Missandei's come from. So, that, I, I appreciate that. Danny kind of recognizes something other than herself for a change. So, I quite like that. Um, but then Missandei is actually quite blunt. With her. She said, I've seen you take great advice from your counsel. I've seen, you know, I've seen you change your mind, take heed of their words. I've also seen you completely fucking ignore them because you're a deranged bitch or yeah. words to that effect. Um, and then she goes and saying that no, so, uh, sometimes I've seen you ignore them because you know, there's a better choice. Well, the choice she fucking makes isn't better. No, it's, it's pandering again. It's, I don't know what to do. So I will go with what seems to be the easiest option of the ones presented to me rather than actually think about it and decide what's best for everybody. I'm just going to take the fucking quickest, easiest option and that'll kind of do until I blunder into my next catastrophe. Yeah, it's. Yeah. I hate it. I hate it so much. Makes very little sense. Um, feels like it's just thrown in because it has to be. To be honest. Yeah. Um, but I don't yeah, know she hasn't had enough screen. Her contract says she has to have a certain amount of screen time this season, and she hasn't had it yet. Possibly. So, so there it is. Anyway, she makes the better choice. Um, she's going to open the fighting pits and she's going to marry the dude and yeah. Oh, I don't you. believe he's ever made any sort of overture or any um, any sort of suggestion he's, that, that I mean, would he's help. barely a fucking character, is he? He shows up when he needs to to further the plot. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, they, he showed up once because um, he wanted his father taken down off the cross so he could bury him properly. Then he showed up again for her to send him off to um, wherever it was that they didn't liberate before um, with um, Diana Harris. To reiterate the fact that it, you know, they're in charge and you know, fuck off all, the, all of you slavers. And then he turned up again just in time for the riot. I said, well, yeah. who is the guy? What's the point of him? And yeah, it's just it's just, it's just, just another part of Danny's story that doesn't make any fucking sense, really. Uh, yeah, yet another one. Um, but never mind. It should, it should move... just be Danny's story. It just doesn't make any fucking sense. Yeah, but never mind. We'll move on from that. Right, now, here's the weirdest thing about this whole episode. We've talked about how flatly directed it's been thus far. Yeah. From here to the end, Valeria on yep. is fucking amazing. Yeah, like it's it's a visual fucking feast. 
the action is incredibly well directed it's tense like it just doesn't even feel like the same director i don't i don't understand like yeah it's bizarre isn't it because because he's proved that he can handle kind of the, the tension of, of two characters talking to each other and he's proved that he can get to the source of the material and bring that out in a performance he's proved that earlier on yeah but then what he was showing is that he didn't really understand what to do with the camera during those scenes so hmm. i was starting to think like, okay well yeah maybe he's an he's an actor's director but then you get to this bit at the end and like you said he did the pacific and like you, you could see it here like it's this action scene is fucking fantastic yeah, um, you know, Valeria is atmospheric. Tyrion sells it well because that's what Peter Dinklage does. Again, yeah. when you need people to explain things, you give it to Peter Dinklage. So he sells it well. He's got the right amount of foreboding, and then you get the Stone Man just kind of standing up and silently dropping into the water behind him yeah. uh, in this kind of soft focus. Yeah, and it, it's brilliant. Like it's it's just like horror movie one hundred and one. It's what the fuck was that? Yeah, you know, and, and again um, we had nice distractions where well, we're Drogon flying over the top. So again, we we, yeah. we we know he's flying loose, but Jorah doesn't know that because as far as Jorah's aware, they're all under control and still you know the size of minibuses as opposed to the size of double deckers. Yeah, know? so I mean, it, it's that was nice as well. Um, it's, it's an absolute visual treat. This hmm. this sequence, yeah. it's it, even as you say, Drogon's flight and everything. It looks yeah. fucking amazing. It looks and expensive as all hell. It does, it and like, the, the, the 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 setting, the the, the the broken city and all the rest of it. I mean. The bit they go through, presumably it's some sort of aqueduct and where they sort of go under it just before the stone man drops and all that stuff. It looks beautiful. It looks amazing. And like there's a, there's a really high, there's a bit where they're talking on the boat um, and Tyrion says about, oh, you know, you're going to pick her up a present from your homeland, all, all the rest of it. And then you, you go from that to a really, to a high shot of the boat coming in from the bottom right in the waterways. And now, now all of a sudden there's buildings and there's a bit of a jungle and all that. And so they've obviously progressed quite a long way. And it, it, it's a really nice shot. And the, 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 the water is very green. It's for, no, it looks very, it looks very, um, it, it's very atmospheric. You've got these sort of decrepit, dilapidated buildings, sort of really overshadowing everything. It's a really nice setup. And I, I mean, I don't know whether, whether this is the director or whether at this point they've gone, right, we need, we need a DP for this, or we need an entire fucking, no, unit for this particular sequence because it you're right it does seem complete at odds with the rest of the episode and it it's not bad for it i think it's a it's a whatever they've done whatever choice they've made it's a very good one because this sequence it's only what it's only a couple of minutes but it, it for me it rescues the episode i i mean there's a lot of good stuff in the episode anyway as i say it's not that the episode is bad it's just that it's been so weirdly inconsistent in its direction uh i think this just kind of highlights that even more because this feels inconsistent with the rest of it. Even though it's excellent, hmm. it still feels inconsistent. So there is something weird with this episode. Um, but nevertheless, this sequence is fantastic. Um, yeah. You know, it, even like to the point that, you know, we get the action sequence, the stone men attack and Tyrion's sort of chained up. So that's all really good. He gets hmm. knocked into the water once again. Tyrion gets knocked out almost as much as Rupert fucking Giles, doesn't he? <laughs> like, whenever there's action, you can guarantee Tyrion's going to get knocked out and then we're going to cut back and the battle's all going to be done. Yeah. Um. So he, he wakes up and there's just this gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous shot of the two of them just sat side by side on a beach and you could frame the fucking thing. The lighting is absolutely stunning. Yeah. Um. The one... Yeah, quibble i did have with this sequence actually just thinking about it is Tyrion goes Tyrion falls into the water and is dragged down 
and then it goes to black. Mm-hmm. If you're gonna, if you're not gonna show him getting rescued, and if you're gonna jump the shark anyway, why not have that open? Why not have that in your episode and have him waking up the start of next week? Yeah, that would be better. I agree. I agree um, that that would be I, much yeah, better. And because like, what you get at the end, you get the reveal with Jorah that he's been touched and he's now got grayscale, um, which which is handled fairly well. It's a little yeah. bit hokey. They overegg the performance there, which again surprises me given how how well they've done thus far in this episode yeah. of the performances. They really overegg this. Yeah, um, like, I mean me, it's again, serviceable. It it's does really, but again, do. for me, that would be a better reveal at some point next week, not immediately after they've had I the agree. conversation about him not being touched. You drag it out, you drag that grayscale out a bit more. You start talking about it, and you have him, you know, yeah, having a scratch and things like um, that. You, yeah, you build you, it. The way you build, and the way you build it is you build it through Shireen, not through yes. Jordan. You yes. build it through her, and no, and um, obviously, um, with Sam looking, you know, Sam reading everything that's there, and also. I know, have him telling Gilly about grayscale, how it, no, how it, how it affects the body. Show the scars on her face because no, they, no, there's, this show's not above cross cutting by any means. Um, sh- no, show the scars, show the markings, show what it can do, and then at some point in the same episode, you've got Jorah having a bit of a fucking scratch, and you end, no, and you you end the sequence, not necessarily an episode, but you end the sequence with him, with his arm being revealed, but not him blatantly going to camera. Oh, look what I've got! But again, no, it, yeah. it's seen by accident, almost yeah. it and proceed it and drag it out to a point it, where it actually means something there's some imminent danger to it 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 should be played i mean look it's, it's obviously a zombie trope okay mm, yeah. and it should be played as such because we're so used to that you know we know when someone gets bit in a zombie film and the good guy gets bit in a zombie film yeah you drag that out for as much as possible and then you reveal just before they turn that actually they've been bit all along so now they'll make their last stand while yes. everybody gets out because you know they've been feeling progressively worse and you know, we as an audience can see it because they're getting clammy and sweaty and we're sort of a, a bit ahead of the characters because that's drama. What yeah. you don't do is have them go, oh, look at my hand and hold it in front of the camera in a really unnatural way as he kind yeah. of looks at his hand and then Joey Tribbiani's off into the distance. <laughs> um, it's it's serviceable, okay? We get the message. It, it is. I just think, I think for, for the end, to, to close the episode out, they had a far better option with Tyrion being dragged into the water and then going and then and then going straight to black, I think that would have been far more effective. Yes. Um, so especially because we don't see him being rescued anyway. The next thing we see is him opening his eye. No, he, his eyes are opening and Jorah's standing over him, you know, dripping and fucking you no know, pseudo pornographic and all the rest of it. And you think, well, hang on a minute, we don't need any of that, especially to close the episode. Our tension, our drama, the thing that's going to keep people tuning in next week is Tyrion being dragged under the water. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Uh, but you know, it's it's. It's hardly a surprise for this show, is it? That they no. overshoot the ending. Yeah, we're, we're 45 episodes in at this point. Nothing fucking surprises me anymore. No, I mean, look, it's pretty much the resin data in it. You open too early and you end too late. That's what this show does. Um, but yeah, so there, there it is. Now, this has all the makings of a really fucking good episode. Mm, yeah. But it's just let down by this weird, just pedestrian at times direction. Yeah. And just. It, it, it's just we, I find it so hard to enjoy because there's just so so many weird choices in it that I'm looking it's, at going, what the fuck have you done that for? Yeah, and I think that's it. that's kind of it for me as well. I mean, as I as I for me the the sequence with um, Jorah Terry and the Stone Mink does it just about rescues the episode for me. I think the the, the close the close aside, I think you no know, the the end of the episode was was great. That you know, all that stuff with Valeria and the Stone Mink was great. Um, but yeah, you're right. It's it's the it's 
you've got a good script, um, some slight, slight ordering issues, some slight no, nudity issues, but a good script, excellent performances for the, from pretty much everybody. Yeah. Some iffy bits, but you know, pretty much everybody's good in it. But the and the direction of the, of the actors is good. Yeah. But for whatever reason, they've just that hasn't translated to what's what the camera is doing. And again, what no, why nobody's picking this up in storyboards? Nobody's picking it up on set. Nobody's picking it up in the edit. I mean, by the time we get to the edit, there's that much of it's probably cost. It would, you'd be shoot, shoot, reshooting half the episode. It. Yeah. At which point you're looking at massive money. But why no? Why nobody's gone? Hang on, you've blocked this this way, and you've no the storyboards of this. You've blocked it this way. What are you doing? Why? Why are we going it's... against type? Why are we going against every, no, pretty much every other episode we've had? And don't get me wrong, there have been fucking questionable direction choices in a lot of episodes, but they they are at least consistent. There is generally a lot of movement. There is generally um, an emphasis on, um, if you not know, filling big spaces, you know, and and making they it look are, organic. To their credit, yeah, to their credit, they are more often than not quite cinematic. Yeah. Um, now they, they don't always understand the rules of storytelling within the framework of that, but they are often quite cinematic. Whereas this, you you hit the nail on the head earlier. I, I wanted to wait until the end so we could discuss it in a bit more detail. Um, you hit the nail on the head earlier when you threw it back, and I hadn't thought about it at the time when you threw it back to the Theon scene where you said um, I was I was sort of ripping on it because it seemed so stagey, mm. and and that's exactly what I think the blocking is here. It's almost as if it's been blocked for a stage production. Yeah. You know, there's, there's in particular, there's that scene we talked about right back at the start with the, with the maester, where Sam's talking to him and then John enters. Yeah. And if you notice, like, John comes down the stairs as Sam is leaving. Sam waits for John to come all the way down the stairs, enter the room, and then go up the stairs. Yeah. John says what he needs to do, leaves, and then goes back up the stairs. And it is literally like someone exiting stage while the next character's walking yeah. on. And you get right. it in the scene with Stannis and Sam as well, actually thinking on it. Yeah. You, you start with, you know, Gilly's amongst the books and Sam's at the table. And then Stannis comes in down the stairs and Gilly fucks off up the stairs. They have the conversation where Stannis walks around him to the books, turns around and walks back out while they're talking. And you're right, I hadn't really thought of it that way. But yeah, you're right. It's it, it very much, you no, know, it should be, the, the end of the scene should be exit as if pursued by a bear. Yeah. You know, exactly. it's like, yeah, and I hadn't really thought about it, but you're right. You know, it, it does seem very. It's exit stage left, isn't it? Whereas yeah, actually, it's... you know, we're in cinema. We can just cut. Yeah, exactly. And it, it but it's, it's very much we've got all this space. People can see all of it. So let's use all of it. Yeah. I, and, you and know, even... Yeah, you're right. It's unnecessary. Totally unnecessary. And even when the characters are leaving, when the other characters enter, like once that character's entered, we've established, we've already established that Sam is going, for instance, or that Gilly is going. So yeah. we don't need to see their feet clippity clop up the stairs. No, like that's you right. can you can cut into close ups at that point or follow our lead into the scene, whatever you want to do. Yeah. And you just know, insinuate them leaving with the audio. Yeah, I was gonna say you just know you just have the, the footsteps fading out. Yeah. So and... it's really, really odd. And even like when you look at Reek's entrance in front of the candles as well, he yeah. walks into frame. Yes. The frame is set up, which is why you notice the camera, and Reek walks into it. Yeah. Which is something you should like walking into frame is one of the most unnatural things yeah. that you can possibly do on film. If the frame if the frame's already full, then it's okay. But if you have an empty frame and you walk into it, it is so unnatural. Yeah. Like it, it just feels like it feels like a stage production, or worse, it feels like a TV presenter walking onto set and saying, Hi, and on tonight's program, that's how it yeah, feels. Yeah, hi, I'm Troy McClure. 
Yes, exactly. Um, so that's what bugs me about it is that, and 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 that's why I say I, I I felt like early on we had a we had a stage director as such that was that was in with the actors and working the performance out, but not thinking about how it was going to look. Yeah. And then they just completely flip that when you get the stone man scene. But yeah, yeah. I, th- I think you you hit the nail on the head when you threw back to that. It was something again. I think we were clearly in sync with this episode when you when you said about heat as well. Th- mm. This was a discussion I wanted to had at the end because that is what has ruined it for me. And look, I love the theatre. I, I absolutely love it. Um, but I like to watch stage plays on a stage. Yeah. I don't like to watch them on film. It's the same reason I don't watch film versions of musicals. I don't understand the appeal in that. Um, I, I just don't. It's the, it's, the, it's the mass marketability, isn't different. it? Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's it's, it, it's just getting it to more people, so more people will then want to go and show, go and see the show. Oh, I understand why um, it's done. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, I, I totally I mean, it's, understand. It's never it's never done particularly. It's for me anyway. If you if you're making a musical film, mm-hmm. that's fine because you plan it in that way. Yes, if you try, it's if adapt, you're trying, it's adaptation, yeah. same as this yeah. is an adaptation of a book. If you're trying to convert, if you're trying to film the a, a performance of a musical, it doesn't work. Um, and I think the prime, a prime example of that is the Hamilton um, uh, movie. It's it's all right, but you they very much rely on the fact that there's you know you see you see them doing their the stage performance. So there's a rotate there's um there's a rotating part of the stage where you've you know, they counter rotate. So you've got you know, the cameras on a dolly, and they they, they kind of cheated because they did they filmed a performance and then they they kept the cast behind to then do inserts and stuff like that. So it actually, they actually shot it over like two and a half days, apparently. Um, but so they, they, they counter rotate. So this, no, the stage is rotating uh, anti-clockwise. So they, 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 they're tracking clockwise. So it just, no, you get the extra effect. Or then you can see, you can see when um, they're, they're changing the set during the, um, during a song. So all of a sudden you've got extras throwing chairs you know, up, up in the air for somebody else to catch and, and you know, set a table on the other side of the stage. And it's stuff like that that bugs me with it because it's like, you you accept that and you expect that on a stage, same as you expect the blackouts and the no, this, the furniture to be moved by technicians in black who you can't fucking see, you can just hear them all over. That's part of going to the theater. And yeah. when you just film that and put it on screen, and um, there was an there was um, I think it was a 25th or 30th anniversary of Les Mis um, a couple of years ago um, that was done that it was, it was shown in a cinema, and they had the same problem with that is that it doesn't translate because you don't in no it, your your mind is set in such a way i'm in a cinema i'm going to see a film i'm going to see and even you know you know what you see you know you're going to see a ver, a stage version of Les Mis, for example but your expect your your brain doesn't equate seeing a musical in that format so you don't expect to see blackouts and flats changing and all this sort of stuff you expect a cut yeah. you expect a clean cut and a move into the next bit and that no, that's what doesn't work. And I think that was the the main thing that bugged me with the Hamilton um, presentation on Disney Plus. I really enjoyed it, but it doesn't. They'd have been better off trying to make a film of it. Well, this yeah, this is my thing. I I, I and I love Hamilton as we've discussed on other shows on this network uh, for in quite some detail. Um, but I haven't watched that because I can listen to the soundtrack. That's fine. But if I want to watch Hamilton. I'll go and watch Hamilton in a theatre. As difficult as the tickets may be to get, that's mm. the medium that it's intended for. Yeah. Uh, if I'm going to watch a film of it, then I want to see a film adaptation for it. It's my whole problem, and fuck me, I have a problem, with Chicago, uh, which mm. picked up all sorts of Academy Awards. It's a fucking uh, terrible picture, film. Did it win Best Picture? 
it did win Best Picture. I think it had Best Director as well. It's a fucking terrible film because it is literally as though somebody's just like, yes, okay, they're using sets and stuff, but it literally feels as though someone has just plonked a camera in the front row of an audience and gone, right, do the show. Yeah. And that, that bugs me. No end. Um, it, you you have a medium with its own strengths and weaknesses here, so use it. Yeah. Yeah, if you want to make a stage play, make a fucking stage play. But you're not making a stage play. You're making a film or you're making televised entertainment. So fucking use it. Yeah. Otherwise, why? And, it, and it's the same reason that we talk again and again and again about stuff that doesn't have to be just like the book, because this isn't a book. Yeah, it's a TV show. It, it, but it, it's, it's an adaptation as well. And the, I mean, we're at a point now in, in the show where we are rapidly approaching the passing point. Mm-hmm. No, the, the show is five episodes away from overtaking the books. And yeah. there will be bits that have been alluded to in the books. There will be bits they've taken from early from the book, which they've kept back. So they're not completely away from it. But at this point, they've, the two paths have diverged. And, I mean, we'll have the, the discussion when we get to beginning of season six. Um, but, um, you know, this isn't the book. And so you don't need it to be. You don't need all the, all the extra exposition. You don't need all the backstory. You need something that's going to drive your narrative forward. And yeah. there's too much, unfortunately, of the opposite. Yeah, totally agree. So, so yeah, that that's where I, I that's where I am with this. This is one of the weirdest episodes that I have watched. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I I, I find it difficult because I said the the writing is good, the performances are great, but it just it doesn't look right, and it doesn't even look right in the context of Game of Thrones. And I think that's where I found it difficult um, this yeah. week. Um, but so for for me, the, the the end sequence, the the the, um, the fight on the boat, now that did you know, that did kind of tip it into the the positive side rather than the negative. I think you know, if if you no, know, if you were looking at scoring it, I'd be looking at scoring it you no know, fifty one instead of forty nine. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's 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 a bizarre episode. Um, but as always, um, we may be wrong. We may have completely missed the point, um, and we'd love to love to hear from you. So uh, by all means, get in touch. Uh, on Twitter at ddpodcastnet. Um, you can also go to our website, ddpodcast.net, um, where you'll find our previous episodes, uh, the other shows that Chris alluded to as well. Some of them are good, some of them are brilliant. Um, judge for yourselves. Um, wherever you get your podcasts from, be it iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Music, um, give us a give us a look. Uh, hit subscribe or follow, whatever, it, uh, whatever options it gives you. Um, leave a comment, leave a review, and we'll get back to you as best we can. But until next time, game over.